For today's focus, we head to Iraq, where the military, supported by the US and French air forces, has gained control of two more areas in the east of Mosul. While the army now has its sights firmly set on the city's western neighbourhoods, some of which remain firmly in the clutches of the Islamic State group. While the task isn't an easy one, the uh, IS have become experts at booby-trapping everyday objects, leaving behind uh, explosive devices everywhere. French special forces are side by side with elite Iraqi soldiers. Their mission? Gather intelligence by finding and analyzing explosives left behind by the Islamic State group. They're never far from the front lines. The French are helping to identify targets. It's complicated. There are areas where we know there are very few civilians, but we have to be absolutely sure. Their goal? To see without being seen. 200 strong on the ground, they remain anonymous. Ils ont pas ça en face. J'espère pas. <laughs> For the past two years, French soldiers have been discreetly training, supporting, and advising Iraqis and Kurds. Right there, it says, watch out for jets. It means there were coalition fighter jets flying over this place. By following electric cabling, the French soldiers stumble upon a strategic hideout once used by a sniper. Just a bed and openings from which to fire on Iraqi forces. The door leading outside might be booby-trapped. The demining expert opens it carefully. The jihadists have become fearsome experts at booby-trapping. They put explosives into all kinds of everyday objects. Welcome to the Global Recon Podcast. I'm your host, John Hendricks. I have a very special guest on with me today. Uh, Raymond, and um, Raymond served in the French Army for a number of years in the uh, French Special Forces. Um, so it's it's great to have you on, brother. How you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, first of all, um, I'm really happy to be part of your podcast, and uh, I really appreciate it, sir. And uh, the second thing, I want to say hi to everybody who listened to your program, and. Uh, English is not my mother tongue, you know, but so forgive me for make a mistake on my sentence and or I don't know. So, <laughs> no, that's, that's cool, man. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, sir. So so you were with the, the French SAS um, Special Air Service. Uh, you know, the, the SAS is one of the more famous uh, counterterrorism units in the world uh, for some of the work they've done over the years. Uh, can we talk about the some of the history of the unit like when it started and and some of the things yes, it was sir. doing in the beginning sure sure uh actually it's not a special air service it's a stick 
uh, action special. Okay. Ah, I see. So, I see. Yeah, it's not the special air service as people call the SAS, bridge SAS. Um, where my unit come from, uh, it, it's from the same thing as the SAS back in 1940, you know. Uh, there is this guy, uh, the uh, Captain Berge, he went to England and was trained by the, the SAS and came back in the French occupied. The France occupied, I mean, and uh, to fight with uh, the free, free French against the German, of course, and that's how my unit started. Right. So basically, it was in occupied France, uh, and basically, you're doing uh, uh, guerrilla warfare, essentially. Yes. Yes. So the, these guys were trained in England with the SAs, and. Uh, they came back to to France. They are dropped in France to do like a special action to to hurt the the Nazi. Right. Okay. So so can we talk a little bit about um, about you and and what motivated you to join the French army and and then maybe if we can walk through your career a little bit. Yes, sir. Of course. I grew up in Madagascar. Uh, my family have been in Madagascar for many generations. Uh, but I have uh, different roots. Actually, I have like 31 DNA. So I feel like I'm, I belong to Madagascar, but everywhere I go, I feel home. It's a very it's very funny as a, as a feeling, you know, when I work through the, all these years. So I come back to my roots. Uh, I grew up in Madagascar. My family are six kids. I'm the last boy in my family. Uh, everybody in my family always thought that I was the baby still today after all my career, but that's okay. Uh, so I grew up in Madagascar and uh, I grew up in like, you know, uh, we call it Madagascar, California, where people can surf, you know, on the ocean. And uh, I was Rasta. I grew up as Rasta in my head. Uh, I think like the, the, the Rastafari people. Yeah. But someday it's turned that my sister married somebody who really mistreated her, you know, was really bad to my sister. So when I was like 19, my mom told me, you need to move to France. I'm, by, by the way, I'm a French citizen. You know, my mom is French. Uh, she, she said, you need to help your sister. She's not doing good, you know. So I, uh, I show up to my family. I went to my sister's apartment and found out that she married somebody that who beat her every day, every single day. So uh, my plan was not at all to to stay in France, just like staying for for a few weeks, like you know, taking care of my sister and coming back, doing what what I like to do, you know. And uh, I found out that she was so bad. And she lost her job. She had two kids. And I said, I can't, I can't just leave, you know. So <clears throat> I, I kind of, I mean, the guy came in the house and we had the fight, you know. I knocked him out. And then I realized that <laughs> I have to do something for my sister. Back these days, these years, being black in France is, is really tough, you know, when you try to find a job when you try to find like a, 
apartment to live, you know? It's yeah. really hard. So I told my sister, I said, I, I, will, I will find something to, to help you out. Because she she had nothing in her apartment, not even a spot to sleep. She was sleeping on the ground when I arrived. The guy solved everything. Actually, he was a crazy guy. And uh, I told her, I will find something for you. So I I went out, tried to find a job, you know. First week, nothing. You know, it's really, really, really hard. And one that was sitting in a in a in this, it's a it's a town called Toulouse, south of France. I was sitting in a bench and I saw this foreign legion uh, commercial saying, "Join us and we're gonna get money in a few days." So I'm like, "Oh shit, that's really good." I mean, <laughs> I mean, I can make money for a few days and just you know roll away, you know, just to come back home. So I went to the the foreign legion recruiter. The guy said, he saw my hair. I was skinny guy, you know, really skinny. I, I was like seven, 57 kilos. It's really way, a little late. <laughs> and uh, I was skinny, long hair, you know, suffer hair. And he's like, dude, you know what? This is not for you. I'm like, what? He said, this is not for you. You, you go back home, do your thing, you know. I'm like, sir, uh... I've never felt anything I've been doing. He said, this is not for you. So go back home, come back tomorrow morning if you really want to join us. And I, I went back home and thinking all night, I'm like, what, what am I going to do? I said, I, need, I really need this money. So in the morning, I show up to the, to the Foreign Legion rec- recruiter. And he was a Spanish guy called Lopez. I still remember his name. He was huge. Like big guy, you know. Yeah. And he's like, you know, you realize that once you're saying, we're gonna cut your hair. I'm like, that's okay. <laughs> and you, won't, you won't see your family for for a few months. I said, that's okay. You're gonna change your name. I said, that's okay. And he said, we'll, we, we, you'll, you will belong to us. I'm like, what? He said, yes. Once you come in the legion. You, we, we are your family. I said, that's okay. I, I, sir, I really need money, so I have to do this. So I signed the contract. Once I signed the contract, he started to scream like a crazy dude, you know. I was scared shitless, seriously. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he, he parked us in, a, in this little uh, studio who belongs to the, to the Foreign Legion. And inside there, there's like seven guys from the east. Big guy, you know. Everybody have turned. I'm, I'm sure they had testosterone and everything, you know. So he said, this is the place where you're going to sleep tonight. And uh, look, uh, tomorrow we, go, we are going to the to Marseille, where there is the, the main headquarter of Foreign Legion. So I'm like, okay. And uh, then I, I was in. I mean, I signed my contract. You know, so I started by the Foreign Legion. Uh, it's uh, it's a long story. Uh, once I finished my 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 basic training in the Foreign Legion, I had my brother who had uh, he was very sick. You know, got in a coma, almost dying. So in, he was in France or he was in Africa? Yeah, he was Madagascar. Okay. So I went to see my 
my drill instructor I said, Sir, I need to go back to my to my to my country. My brother is dying. I can't stay here. I'm not focused, you know, I need to do something. So he said, Listen, you need to finish the basic training and in the end we're gonna send you to Madagascar. You're gonna have ten days off. So I did my basic training. It's like crazy. Foreign Legion training is like every day it's a challenge, you know. Every day is a challenge. Every day you are like, I want to go home. So I finished my class and I was to go. I was about to go. I chose the second uh, foreign legion regiment, paratrooper, which is like the the best foreign legion regiment. And uh, when I I went to see my um, the the captain, he said, "Look, you can't send you to Madagascar." I said, why, sir? He said, you are not, you are under uh, a fake name and we can't do any passport for you, so you are stuck here. And I know that they can do something, but they didn't want to do something for me. So they did let me go, let me see my brother. And my brother was dying. So I said, look, if you don't let me go to see my brother, I will run away. You know, it was a crazy story, run away. But I've never thought about running away. This is not me, okay? And uh, they put me in a jail. Like three months. I was locked up. I have to paint all these buildings every morning. I start from 6 to 10 p.m. 6 a.m., 10 p.m. every day. And uh, I was lucky because one of the paintings, the guy who painted with me, he was like staff sergeant, and he said, you can go to the gym and you come back after your gym. So in the morning, I go to the gym and come back and do my painting. And after a few months, like two months, the guy said, you know what? I think you are a crazy dude. If you just sign the contract that you have, you are going back to the regiment, you're going to stop to paint here. I said, I'm going to paint until they let me go see my brother. And so they let me out, you know, they gave me the paper and he said, never tell people that you know what is the foreign legion. I said, sir, I exactly know what the foreign legion is. <laughs> so I left, you know, I left the foreign legion and I come back to my parents' house and, uh, you know, take care of my brother. And I'm lucky he's not, he didn't die. He joined even the military. He's still at active duty right now. Oh. Uh, yeah. Uh, he he served in an airborne unit too. So from there, I I really like the the foreign legion thing. So I said I need to go to to another regiment. So I signed up for the eighth airborne. You know, that's how I start. That's back 2000. I joined the eighth airborne, and uh, I spent six years there. And uh, I was like. Uh, I was sniper for many years, and uh, I end up being a platoon leader, you know. And during, and from you, the, during your time sorry. there, did you deploy during those years? Like in yeah, yeah I, did, I was deployed three three times. I did the deployment in uh, Ivory Coast during the the war. You know, I stayed six months there. I was deployed in uh, Central Africa. There is a putsch, so we had to go there to evacuate all the the French citizens. And I was deployed 
deployed in uh, uh, Gable. So it's our like uh, our base where we are deployed from Africa in Africa, and then from there we can intervene everywhere. Right. So yeah, it was uh, the Etherborn is like foreign legion, same 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 thing, you know, that the the birds was changing the color, which is uh, green for the legion, foreign legion, and red for us. So I spent six years there. It was nice. It was nice, but Someday, I, w- I was watching this base where there is a huge operation coming in Africa. Like the French have to do something in one spot. And all the special force guys came with their helos, all the vehicle, all their weapons. And I've seen like people waking up in the morning going surfing. I'm like, shit, what? What the hell going on here? All these guys are like surfer, you know, they're like really chill. Yeah. But then, in the afternoon, they are training. They are, they go to the gym, and I see like a big guy, you know, really top. I'm like, what, what, the, what are you are guys? You are who you are. The guy said, "Oh well, you are a special force guy. <laughs> Welcome, son." And he said, "Yeah, we are deployed here, and uh, we're gonna do like a few mission for a few few months here, and then go back home." I'm like, can. There is a way I, I can do your your job. He said, you really want to do my job? I said, sure. I said, I want to try. He said, you are young. I was, I was 20, 21 years old. Uh, 21, 20, yeah, that, that was about 21 years old. And <laughs> and the guy told me, listen, he said, if you want to join the special force, you need to train a lot. So from that day, I train, I run a lot. I like uh, I I run a lot, push up, pull up, swimming, you know. And this is all training for selection. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I uh, I apply for the the selection. So we were three hundred people for the for that year. That was two thousand fifteen. Uh, two thousand five. You know, two thousand five. And uh, there is 63 spot, you know. So there is 300 people for 63 spot. And three weeks before that, I was hit by a car. <laughs> That's a crazy story. I was hit by a car on the street. So I was really, really bad. You know, my back hurts. And I'm like, I won't make this, you know. It's, it's, too, it's too hard for me. It's going to be too hard, you know. My back was hurting. But a friend of mine said, man, if you don't do this, you already fucked up here. Because once you apply for the special force, if you don't success, you become the the the, the, the toy of everybody. You know, you know what I mean? Right, like the yeah, I see what you mean. Like a so joke, I didn't huh? have a choice. Yeah, yeah. I didn't have a choice. So I uh I said, oh, I'm gonna do this. So I did the the two weeks of Special force test, you know, and I made it. I was selected. We were 62 guys selected, and then we start the basic training. It's about one year, and then you do your specialties. So, you do like one one year of, of you know, marksmanship and things like that, and then you go into your specialty. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. So well, after the the one year, you are uh, sent to your first. Uh, I mean, first team, but it's like like a basic basic team. There is no specialities. So the other team you have. So there is four companies. You know, four company. First company. Uh, specialized in the water, like uh, uh, maritime type of stuff. Mar- yeah, yeah, yeah. With with uh, with the boat and the patrol boat and uh, specialized in the high high altitude, uh, high opening. You know, um, and we have one counter tourism team. We and we have one sniper team. We have one recon team. We have uh, two Hello team, and uh, that's it. That's it. So every company have uh, almost same thing, you know. Yeah. So when once you finish your basic training, you are they put you in a in a in the team where you're gonna continue to be trained, and then you're gonna choose your specialty if you wanna be a sniper, if you wanna be Counterterrorism, but the word counterterrorism is really, really faking uh, the words because everybody does counterterrorism, right? Right. Yeah. So basically, all the team can be sent anywhere to do counterterrorism, but then in each company, you have a team specialized, like a hostage rescue or HVT. Take, uh, taking off, uh, taking out an, on, on HVD, you know? Right. So, that's it. Right, so, so how long were you in this unit uh, after you made it through and got, uh, got into the team? Thir- 13 years. 13 years. And you served for a total of 19? Sorry? You, you served 19 for years. 19 years. Okay. Yes, yes, 19 years, yeah. So there were, you know, several incidents that made it to, you know, the news and things like that uh, across Africa involving hostage uh, situations, hostage rescue, um, or situations where an American special operations team needed assistance and the French uh, sent, you know, sent helicopters and and, uh, things like that. Um, you, You also have experience working with American units, right? Yes, sir. Uh, I I had worked full time with the uh, U.S. Uh, Special Forces. I had worked with the uh, the Greenberg Third Airborne. You know, third group, yeah. The third group, yeah. Uh, I, in, that was in Afghanistan. Uh, I worked with the the Delta Force. You know, the CAG. Yeah. Uh, so it was like I didn't work with them. Directly, but we are in the same spot where we did uh, we did a, a huge operation, and they come to to support us because it was the the spot was really far in the in the desert, and we end up doing our operation. When you're done with it, uh, we didn't have water anymore, <laughs> so the the U.S. Uh, special force came and gave us support and stayed with us to secure the the zone. Before we get pulled back by the the choppers. So also in your in that unit, when a team is on a like a a, a counterterrorism 
uh, status. Is that involve hostage rescue and things like that? Yes, sir. We basically my unit are uh, one of the the most used to do like all this hostage rescue or uh, you know uh, capture HVT capture. Right. Yeah, and 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 these guys are are still doing great job right now. You know, I I've been out for from the personnel for two years before I retired. You know. Mm-hmm. So I had to prepare my uh, my retirement, but my my friends still working, doing great job, you know, backing up the country. So that, you know, with the French uh, the French Special Forces, I, at least in, to me, I feel like you know, being an American, one of the, mo- the the more famous unit or unit that you hear about is the Foreign Legion, um, but. The, the and the foreign legion is kind of a unique unit because they accept uh, people from other countries, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I think the foreign legion have the more than hundred and eighty four citizenship, but we are not playing in the same ground level. You know, right. uh, there is a good thing when you don't you don't know anything about an, a unit. That means they are doing great thing. Not right. talking about them, uh, but I mean. The French special forces need to talk more about them, definitely, for two reasons. Uh, because they're doing great job, you know, and uh, to make the young French guy uh, have more uh, interesting during right. the special forces. Right, you know? to be inspired, right. Yeah, so if you compare the the foreign legion with the special force. It's like comparing the the U.S. Marine with the Delta Force, right? Same thing, right? Just different so, different uh, roles and things like that. Yeah, yeah. There's different thing. We don't the we don't get orders from the same command. You know, we, right. we get orders from the special person command orders directly and through the president. So it's it's completely different. Right. So you know, with France. Uh, having the status that it does in the world and uh, the influence uh, the French government is, is involved in a lot of counterterrorism stuff. You guys have dealt with terrorism in the past and, you know, even within the last couple of years, you know, the attack in Paris um, by uh, members of ISIS. Um, how has some of that changed like in the country? Cause obviously you've been dealing with that kind of thing for a long time, but now, you know, the attacks are happening in France. There was one in Paris. The, I believe uh, a schoolgirl or two schoolgirls were were killed in Marseille, uh, you know, within the last four years or so. Before we hear back from Raymond regarding the effects of terrorism in France, I would like to talk to you about the sponsor for this week's episode, Blinkist. In today's age, it can be hard to find a time to sit down and learn more. A lot of people work and have a side gig or work two jobs or they have to take care of the family when they get home from work. So you feel like you don't have enough time to sit down and relax and read and develop yourself. Well, there's an app that I highly recommend. It's called Blinkist. Blinkist is the only app that takes the best key takeaways, the need to know information from thousands of nonfiction books, and it basically condenses them down into just 15 minutes so you can read it or you can listen to it. Blinkist is made for people like you who want to get the main talking points of the book 
quickly without having to sit and spend the time reading the entire book. With the audio feature, Blinkist makes it so easy you can finish four books in a day. Eight million people are using Blinkist right now, and it has a massive and growing library from self-help, business, health, and to history books. I like Blinkist because in less than 15 minutes, I feel like I have a better and more well-informed opinion on the topic. I use Blinkist when I'm making breakfast in the morning before I start my day, or when I'm ending my day at night, I like to read and learn, and I think that helps me fall asleep. I've read and listened to these books, and I highly recommend you check them out. The first book is The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss. The second book is called Factfulness, 10 Reasons We're Wrong About the World and Why Things Are Better Than You Think by Von Harris Rosling, Ola Rosling, Anna Rosling Runland. Right now, for a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience. Go to Blinkist.com slash recon to start your free seven-day trial. That's Blinkist spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T. Blinkist.com slash recon to start your free seven-day trial. Now we'll get back to the conversation with Raymond regarding the effects of terrorist attacks in France. Yeah. Oh. I mean, these kind of things change the country, you know? Um, right now, even myself, I don't feel like safe walking in Paris, you know, for two reasons, because I can carry guns. Right. And uh, I, I, I was, when I was special ops for many years, I carry guns for many years. Uh, I was spe- specialized in close protection also. So I have been protecting like uh, ambassadors, you know, uh, uh, officials, generals, you know. So I always have a gun overseas. And when I come back in my country, I'm not allowed to carry a gun. And uh, it's really frustrating. Yeah. So the, the climate right now in France is very, very bad. It's very bad. Uh, but... We need to stand together against the terrorism for sure. Right. Because it's a disease. Yeah, I think a lot of people don't realize that, like, um, people on the outside, regular civilians, people don't understand how connected uh, terrorism is and, and how these different groups, you know, from Africa to Southeast Asia, Middle East, how they're, a lot of them are connected and they train and send weapons and send, uh, people to different areas to fight and uh, things like that. Yes. Yeah, sure. People, uh, the French people discover the terrorism, the, the, the face of the terrorism. It's, it's a brand new, you know? Yeah. So people start to open their, their mind and start to realize that it's here. It's not, it's not anymore like a, a dream or a story. It's real right now. Right, it's 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 hitting home, and and I think September 11th that happened for a lot of the world, but also you know especially here in the United States, um, where people, I feel like there was a false sense of security, and people just felt like things like that couldn't happen here, and then when it did, it kind of woke everybody up to to reality, and and it changed the way we did things, you know. Yeah, yeah, like that. I I would call it, you know, it's like being raped, you know. Yeah, it's you never expected. You you always say it's never me, 
always the other people. Right. And then you are defenseless and you get you have your some you have something happening in your country and you're like, oh my god, this is it. It's really here and uh we are in a very bad situation. So sure. Yeah, and I think also I was in Paris in um uh twenty eighteen. Yeah. And um I saw firsthand, you know, once I left the the airport, we got on the on the uh, the metro. Yeah. And in the first stop, there was this this kid from Syria, and he was just going up and down the the train car, and he was handing out these little uh, little uh, like index cards, and on the cards he wrote, you know, my name is so and so, and I'm a refugee from Syria, and I need money basically. And um, yeah. I saw it all over Paris, like. Uh, signs that refugees had had a you know escaped from a war zone and and went to to France. Yeah, I mean, the it's people try to we we should not try to mix everything. You know, I when I work overseas, you know, the place where uh, people. Are really kind and 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 give you hospitalities. Right. It's in Middle East people. You know, it's 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 crazy. So the face that these people show here in Europe, it's not the same face that I have seen in some space spot. You know what I mean? Right. So it's it's really confusing. But I, I can do the part. I know. I mean, I don't care about people's color, people religions. Right. Uh, I just I don't like bad guys. That's it. Yeah, you just know? bad behavior, uh, right? Yeah, yes, sir. That's it. So we need really to work on that on everybody because I I, I lived in a country where they 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 said that they are like uh, the the mother of the democracy. You know, like it's the spot where democracy is really really good, but I experience racism every every day. Right. Even as a soldier. And I have I always need to prove everything all the time to be French. Right. And it's it's bittersweet. You know I mean? Yeah, I, I think it was um the French soccer team, I forget if it was for the World Cup or what it was for, but there was a big tournament. And, yeah, World um, Cup. Yeah, World Cup. And there was an issue, I think, with one of the one or two of the, the, the black players on the team that when when they were winning, they were considered French. When they lost, they were Africans. So something yeah. like that, right? This, this is not new. This is not new. This is uh, always been like that. You know, you are the good French the good colored people are French when they're good. And one, once they are not good, they're not French. They're called by their, right. their roots. <laughs> right. So when I was in, in Paris, I noticed, like I was at Notre Dame and, and just even um, just walking through the city in different areas of the city, there was heavy police presence and or, or even even army. I'm not exactly sure, you know, where they, these guys belong to. But you know, they had their their vest and their rifles and their pistols and things like that. 
And and I guess that's just the 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 newer reality of of um, having to counter terrorism at home in Paris. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I think even before we only had that. We started to have that after nine eleven. Yeah, they started to put soldiers in in the airport, you know, everywhere, in front of synagogues, but. People really realized it in 2015 when these guys enter in a in a radio and start to shoot everybody. Oh right, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how it started. But as a special ops guy, we know that we have been dealing with it for many years, not just right now. Right, exactly. But the difference is it was not in our soil. Yeah, there was um. I think it maybe it was in 2013 or something. I forget exactly the date, but where there were three uh, American service members on a train. And yeah, yeah, yeah. So I yeah. actually I had one of the guys on the on the podcast before. Nice. Um, and I, I I forget exactly. I think maybe they were heading to Amsterdam or something like that. And no, they're heading to Belgium. Belgium, yeah, Belgium, right? Yeah, yeah. And these guys saved a lot of lives, man. Yeah. Yeah, we really appreciate. Yeah, and it's and and it just goes to show, you know, how um, uh, how connected we are against uh, this threat of terrorism, you know, and it, it affects everybody. And I've I've actually done that train ride from France to uh, from Paris to Belgium, Belgium to uh, Amsterdam, and then back. And um, you know, you, usually those rides are it's a nice train, it's comfortable, it's quiet. Uh, you can eat, the bathrooms are nice, things like that. And then out of nowhere, you know, a guy has an AK-47 and he's trying to kill everybody on the on the train. Yeah. And uh, the biggest mistake in Europe, some people still believe that you can fight AK-47 with a flower. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, I'm not, I'm not a crazy, I mean, I mean, I love guns. I, I owe guns. Guns, yeah. I have the permit to carry and to detain where I'm living right now. I, I feel really comfortable. I, I'm, I'm really happy. I'm, I'm, and we should make a law for people like, can you imagine like all the U.S. Special Force guy working for 20 years in the military, our Special Ops guy, retiring in America and not allowed to have guns or anything. You know yeah, what I mean? yeah, that's crazy. So that that's crazy, and they're gonna give guns to a cop who may shoot like twenty bullets a month a year. Yeah, we have very little training. Yeah. Yeah. So we we are not winning that side because a lot of people don't even understand what is the what is a gun. You know, like in France, you can't have uh, you can't buy a mill. You need to make like a crazy training and blah, 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 to have nine millimeter. But then you can buy like a 300 Winchester Hmm. with a spot. So the guy sitting on his chair doing all these rules have no clue what his gun is. Right. You know? So it's crazy. Yeah, I can can imagine that. Buy buy a shotgun and going, going back home with a shotgun. But shotgun can kill more people. I mean, it's, it's it's a crazy if you can see the politics 
all the all the 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 bullets you can use with a shotgun it's deadly <laughs> right right more, maybe it's more deadly than an enemy liver yeah you know th that's one thing i've noticed um over the years is that there are a certain number of um special operations units that are not i mean uh, or personnel from those units that are not american from allied units uh nations Uh, mostly European, and when sometimes the guys, when they retire, they move to the U.S. and they're able to continue, um, you know, shooting how they want to shoot, or maybe working in security and, and or training and things like that. Yeah, so, this is what I, yesterday somebody asked me. I, you know, I, I talk with people on my Instagram, and there's this young guy saying like, I, I've noticed something. The French, I mean the the French society. All the French government don't pay en enough respect to their special force, so everybody's living. You know, mm. I know a lot of friends who just moved to America because the guy need to shoot every week. It's like in our blood, man. Right. You know, and you are in a country where you can't do that, so people get frustrated, and people depressed, and people you know do crazy thing, especially when when you spend 20 years in the special force. Uh, You, you you can uh, you can have a little, little PTSD, right? Right. You, you don't go back normal person. You know it's it's not possible. So the only way for you to be good or to feel good is to keep doing what you like to do, not just to stop from it. Yeah. Right. Right. And so when you when you got towards the the end of your career. Uh, you said you you didn't have any involvement in combat for two years before you got out. I I was uh, I end up in a cell like close protection cell because I have I'm qualified to be team leader, close protection team leader. So they send me in the in the cell to train the operators to become close protection operators. So for two years I've been doing that, but I still go overseas to protect people. But uh, I stopped to go to do like a special ops mission with a team. Okay, so then after you finished that, so then you retired after that, and you've been out. How long have you been retired now? Eight months right now. Oh, so it's really fresh and brand new for you. Yeah, it's brand new. So, so so far. Uh, you know, I know you've had, you feel like you might have had some issues with PTSD and things like that. How has all that been for you? Uh, listen, man, uh, I'm lucky. I uh, I married a girl who really supported me about that. And uh, if she won't be here, I mean, maybe if it was another woman, she, um, I'm sure she was already gone. And I have my family who support me. I have four kids, beautiful kids, which is I, I really do love. And uh, and I have all my family during like one year, you know, really involved in my PTSD. And uh, I got a dog. That, that that helped me a lot. I got a I got this Labrador, you know, kind of Labrador. Mm -hmm. Which is, yeah, that's how I. When I'm I'm getting really mad or really pissed off of nothing, just 
you know, because you're getting mad for nothing. I had the dog, and the dog, the dog really calmed me down. Right. So, my my dog obviously like my like a teammate, man. So over here in the states, uh, I would say this is probably the time where there's the most awareness for PTSD and and veteran suicide. Is it any, is anything like that going on in France as far as um, people being aware and and the the government trying hard to to figure out how to fix this issue? Yeah, I mean, right now they they are aware about it, but things are not well made. To I have a friend who just died a few weeks ago. He hanged himself. Oh wow! Sorry to hear that. And yeah, and uh, because he had a PTSD. But in France, PTSD is like I, I, I'm not I'm not ashamed to tell people that I had PTSD. Because to fight it, you need to understand it. You need to know it, and you need to 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 accept that you have it, not to refuse it. I've been refusing the the fact that I had PTSD for many years, and I always fall in the crying, and I don't understand what's going on, you know. So then I told myself, you are not, you're not okay. You are sick. And that's helped me a lot, you know. And in France, the, the system is not well made yet. People still look at you like you are a crazy person when you you tell people that you have PTSD. The thing PTSD is like for a guy who is not strong enough. Uh, trust me, I'm, I'm a very strong guy, but... When you see stuff, she thinks it's harder than you, and it's it's something that you can fight. Like sometimes, as a man, you, you you when you fight somebody, even a big guy, you fight a guy, and you get crushed. But it's like, okay, I did it. I could fight the guy, and I didn't run away. The problem with the PTSD, you can't fight it. You don't know how to do it. Nobody's trained to do it. And when you go to see a doctor, sometimes the doctor don't even understand what we have been through, man. So you are going to see somebody who needs to treat you and have no clue what you are doing, where you have been. So uh, right now they're starting like a new program where they send all the doctors to check the guy after two months or three months in the territory deployment. So they're doing stuff, it's starting. But they need to do more. Right. Right. And I think um now with the 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 medicine, modern medicine and uh the ability of the combat medics and the and the doctors and the surgeons, more people are surviving wounds that they receive on the battlefield than ever before. So yeah. people come home uh so more guys are surviving basically and, and uh People have brain damage from, you know, bombs or whatever and, and uh, shooting in tight spaces. So because of that, I think it created a large percentage of combat veterans who have uh, some kind of issue with it. Not everyone has issues, but it's it's not uncommon or unnatural for a guy to have PTSD after serving for uh, in that kind of job for so long, you know. When you understand what's going on on the ground, but you can't control it, you know, and you you create like a 
a link with the people you work with, like anywhere in any country you work. And then you understand the situation and what they said on TV, just bullshit, you know? Right. And then when you go home, you try to explain to your family that this is not right. And I'm lucky my, my wife always trusts me. Right, right. So, so uh, d- yeah. different. Were you were you wounded at at all in combat uh, during your during your service? No, 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 I'm lucky. I've never been wounded. I have a friend been wounded, but I'm, I have all my legs. I have nothing. Right. Okay. Okay. And when you finally got into the special operations side, uh, what was your specialty? Can you talk about that at all? Yeah, I can talk about it. So when I joined the special force, I was a sniper with a small caliber in my team. And I, I worked with the team like uh, we are the the special weekend vehicle, you know, the patrol vehicle. And also my, my, my team leader is a guy, he was specialized in the class protection. So he said, let's start class protection in our team. So we had these two specialities. We do close protection every year. We go like twice in deployment, and uh, we protect our official overseas or ambassadors or uh, generals. So I what when I start to join the special force, I have a very good skills on close protection, and I have worked in many many countries. So then after that, you, you stayed as that as your specialty, close protection? Uh, no, no, no. I, so I, my, my team is like, uh, we call it uh, stick action special. So we do counterterrorism. But because you are specialized in the close protection, we can go like in a country, do our job, you know. I see. Our operator job. And then they said, oh, we need guys to protect somebody. So they just call us and we do it. I see, I see. Okay. So in, in some units in the U.S., like they'll have, um, they'll have a, a certain specialty. It could be like communications, medic, or something like that. And then they'll also go to like a sniper school and then come back and they'll be sniper certified. Is, yeah. it, is it like, is it similar in, in uh, yeah. special forces? It's, it, yeah, it's a similar. It's similar. So every guy in the team sent to be like uh, we have two demo guy demo guy, we have two snipers, we have two communic uh, radio guy, you know, and we have uh, one JTAC, basically two, but most of the time you have one, and then we have two machine gunner, and we have the team leader and the, his deputy. And and you guys are all is everyone like trained in in um, like T triple C and things like that. Sorry, is everyone trained in like bleeding control? Do you get like tourniquet use, uh, like um, kind of sort of basic combat medicine? Yeah, yeah. Everybody do the first uh, first combat. Uh, we call it uh, SC one. So in French, it's secours combat numéro one. So that means like uh, the first level of uh, uh, we call it combat medic mm-hmm. so everybody had to do the first level so I can do perfusion I can 
I can use tourniquet. I can, I can stitch if I need to do it. I can. Uh, you learn the basic thing that the first thirty second, when somebody's wounded, it's the mo- the the best time to react really good, you know. So more than thirty percent of people are are saved because of that. Right, right. Like the the basic first aid and it's. Uh, yeah. Right. So we all have our specialities in the, in the team. Right. Okay. Cool. Um, so it, you know, it was it was great having you on, brother. I do appreciate you doing this. Um, you know, not not too many Americans get to hear from a uh, you know a French special forces guy. So uh, you know, I know my audience is going to appreciate it. You know, I appreciate you coming on here again, and uh, I want to say thank you for your service as well. Oh, sir. Uh, I just want to say thank you. Yeah, for you to have me here talking with you guys. Uh, I hope my English was not really hard to understand. No, it's good. It's uh, good. I, I really appreciate it. And uh, I, I love America, man. It's a, it's a great country. You guys have a great country. Uh, if it's not the biggest in the world. So keep it up and uh, keep in touch, man. Yeah, we'll do better. Yeah.